Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. Here we are at midweek, and today we're going to be talking about... We know we've got a lot of acres not planted, and big question marks on some of those acres that are planted, how they will yield. We're going to talk about that with Scott Irwin, University of Illinois Ag Economist. We're going to talk uh, with Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, about the President's review of his administration's policy on granting small refinery exemptions to the Renewable Fuels Standard. And also talk with Jeff about his recent trip to Brazil to talk about ethanol and biofuels. And we're going to talk with Gene Miller, who farms in the St. Joseph, Missouri area, get an update on uh, crop conditions in that area. But first, we're going to start it off to learning more about a new campaign launched yesterday by the National Pork Producers Council called Keep America First, in a campaign to highlight the importance of establishing a proper regulatory framework for gene editing in livestock production. And joining us now to talk about it is Dr. Dan Kovich, director for the National Pork Producers Council. Dan, thanks for joining us. Maybe we should start, before we get into the actual campaign and what you hope to, uh, what your goals are, could you explain again for us, what when we say gene editing for livestock production, what are we talking about here? Sure, my pleasure. Uh, happy to be here, happy to just your uh, listeners, I'm sure, are familiar with uh, GMOs, uh, genetically modified organisms, which have been something that really bypassed uh, livestock for quite a number of reasons, um, one being the fact that, you know, it was a complicated, expensive process that was just difficult, given how animals reproduce, to use. And then along comes gene editing, um, or what a lot of people call CRISPR, and this is basically a brand new technology that lets us make very precise, small changes um, usually within the animal's own genome, not even bringing in any foreign material that can really pay huge dividends. Um, so again, that's why we're talking about this now, because it's a new technology that allows for really precise, known, small changes in an exact position in an animal's genome, uh, and we've just never had that before in livestock, livestock breeding, research, you name it. I think lessons to be learned from GMOs uh, and the introduction of that technology, it was not explained, I don't think, well enough to consumers uh, what the benefits would be, and it, and it got a negative connotation, and we're still fighting that today. So it's important to educate people up front about gene editing. Absolutely. I mean, as an industry, we want to be completely transparent about what we're doing and, you know, as you mentioned, really highlight what the benefits of this technology are because they really do benefit everyone across the spectrum. I mean, obviously, benefit to producers in having healthier livestock. You know, I'll use as an example viral diseases of animals always have been a challenge to to control and i think gene editing offers a lot of promise there if we look at pers you know the porcine reproductive and respiratory syndrome virus number one domestic disease of concern in pigs billion dollars of of losses a year 
an edit here can make pigs resistant to that, and that obviously helps producers. But it also helps pigs. Um, you know, obviously, we welfare is a primary concern. Not having significant number of animals ill, suffering, very important. Um, we also use a lot of a lot of the antibiotics that are used in animal agriculture are used to combat the secondary infections that follow. For example, PERS infections. And so this could really allow us to use a lot less antimicrobials in pig production, something that we also know is of concern to consumers. And then again, just broader sustainability issues. So those benefits exist across the board. We absolutely need to be transparent, educate people about why we're doing it, and again, why this is a different technology than what they think of when they hear GMO. We're talking with Dr. Dan Kovich. He is the Director of Science and Technology for the National Pork Producers Council. Dan, I guess a lot of your concern and part of the goal of this campaign is to get the regulatory authority for this technology in the hands of USDA rather than FDA. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. When it comes to utilizing uh, gene editing on farms, and really what we're talking about there is the descendants of gene-edited animals on farms. Uh, we think that the regulatory approach that the FDA has laid out is is really inappropriate. It's going to absolutely kill this technology before it even takes off uh, here in the U.S. Um, and, and really that has to do with how they're choosing to regulate the use of the technology. Rather than regulating the actual physical thing that affects the edit itself, they've decided, and this is because it doesn't make much sense to us either, but to actually regulate the animals themselves as animal drugs. Um, in effect, saying that the altered DNA, the altered genome that the animal has, becomes a drug under the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act. And that's just going to create a whole host of problems when it comes to trade, the animal breeding industry, uh, potentially drug manufacturing facilities, the list goes on and on. Farm, um, we really think that the USDA has the authority, has the expertise under the Animal Health Protection Act to monitor how this technology is used on farms. What are other countries doing with this technology? Well, that's the other crucial piece here because um, and you know, if we look at our neighbors here in the Western Hemisphere, if we look to the north, to Canada, to the south, to they've all proposed or actually have up and running regulatory frameworks that are really going to allow this to off. I mean, if we look at Argentina in particular, um, their pathway, which has nothing to do with, with animal drugs, they're already seeing a lot of investment applications to look at uses of gene editing, um, and, and they're, they're really going to get the lead on us. Uh, we also already know that there are researchers who've been working on this technology in the United States who are moving their programs to Canada, to, to Brazil, where there's a better regulatory framework. So we're really at a big uh, risk here of, of falling behind globally when it comes to uh, being able to use this technology, having access to it, reaping the benefits. So this campaign, Keep America First in Agriculture, is to highlight all these issues and points we've just discussed, right? Absolutely. Um, we want to make it crystal clear that this is an issue that's very important to livestock producers, uh, not just pork producers, but 
all livestock producers, and that we really um, expect, need uh, the the federal government to get this right. And, and that's what we're trying to highlight, both the benefits of this technology and the risk that we're under right now of, of losing ground to our competitors internationally. All right. Dr. Kovich, thank you for the update. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Dr. Dan Kovich, he's Director of Science and Technology for the National Pork Producers Council. Well, with each passing day, each passing report, uh, we are faced more and more with the realization of reduced production, either from acres not planted or reduced yield on acres that are planted. What's the market implications and other effects and impacts of this? We'll talk with University of Illinois ag economist Scott Irwin next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Clean. Wash hands and utensils to avoid spreading bacteria when preparing food. Separate. Use different cutting boards for meat, poultry, seafood, and veggies. Cook. You can't tell it's done by how it looks. Always use a food thermometer. Chill. Keep the fridge at 40 degrees or below to keep bacteria from growing. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, right now I want to talk about beef trade. Joining us is Kent Backus, Senior Director of International Trade for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Kent, thanks for joining us. Uh, bring us up to date on where we're at with the European Union. Now, they're going, they're going to accept more U.S. beef, right? But what are the details on this? Well, Mike, that's the, that's the big question is, uh, yes, we've seen the plans and we've seen this announcement come out, but this is not implemented, and I think that's important for everyone to remember that we can't uh, start popping champagne bottles just yet because the good news is is that the, the Europeans have agreed to a, a U.S.-specific quota of 35,000 metric tons. But the concern is whether it will actually be implemented and when. So we're very supportive of this step forward. We think it's a, a, it's a nice step forward. It's certainly welcome news but we can't celebrate just yet. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything. Editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. 
Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. Soybean growers are going all in on Ingenia herbicide. Now BASF is going all in on Ingenia growers. We're so confident in the performance of this solution, we're now backing it with the Ingenia herbicide weed control guarantee so you can have true peace of mind. And you can tap into our expanded Grow Smart Rewards program and get cash back. Go all in today at IngeniaHerbicide.com. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And we're joined now by University of Illinois ag economist Scott Irwin. Scott, thank you for being with us as uh, the reality of reduced production really sets in between acres not planted and potential uh, expected now reduced yield on those acres that are planted. Uh, Are we starting to feel the reality setting in or is it still too early to really uh, grasp the impact of this? I think that at least the market believes that the acreage side of this on corn has come into uh, clearer focus. I think that there's still a lot of uncertainty on what the final planted acreage will be for soybeans that's been introduced by the weather in the last couple of weeks. And on yield, I think everybody realizes that there's just a wide range and you're already beginning to see some estimates in the market that are really wide range on uh, corn and soybean yields. So uh, I think we're just still at the beginning of this story. Uh, Even the acreage could be a surprise, positive or negative, on Friday. And yields could still end up being decent to anywhere from terrible, depending on the So... um, a little bit better information, but not all that much to know where we're going to end up, Mike. Yeah, Friday's numbers, do we discount those, or or how much significance will they have? Well, I think they're going to have a lot of significance, because it will be the first large-scale survey evidence uh, that we have. Uh, the way I'd like to think about it is the June-planted acreage numbers in the past are really rock solid in their accuracy. I mean, you're within plus or minus a million acres of planted acreage, uh, typically, you know, year in and year out from those June acreage numbers on corn and soybeans. We just have to admit that this year that there's going to be a larger expected error for those uh, figures from the USDA. I don't know how the market's going to, you know, fade those numbers, but you should expect them to have a larger than is typical error meaning on corn you could be two or three million bush uh, two or three million acres above or below whatever the USDA publishes and potentially even more on soybeans 
So that's the way I look at those numbers as they're going to come out on these, Friday. These weekly crop condition numbers, I know you've kind of questioned some of them. Well, um, you know, I think corn seems pretty reasonable to me. Um, I did my own personal driving tour of a big chunk of South Central Illinois uh, over the weekend, and I see that 42% of the soybean crop in Illinois was rated good to excellent the first time, and uh, I'm, I'm still looking for those acres after what I saw and what I know northern Illinois looks like. Um, you know, I, I drove a huge chunk of central and south central Illinois, and I wouldn't have rated 5 or 10% of what I saw uh, in the good or excellent category. I mean, it's pretty shocking, at least here in central and southern Illinois, um, how bad the, the soybean crop looks. Uh, at the present time. You know, I've done some driving, too, uh, throughout Illinois, and I'll see, like, a cornfield that I think for this year I think looks pretty good. And then you get to looking a little closer. You don't have to look too far. You see a huge drowned-out spot or a very bad spot yeah. somewhere out there, and there's got to be a lot of those out there. Absolutely. You know, what I observed in my windshield tour, admittedly I didn't get out into any fields, but you can see it from the road. Even those earlier planted fields that are taller and look better and are, have a darker green color as they're, you know, getting into the nitrogen, that there were big drowned out spots and just that roughness of a crop that starts, or I should say unevenness of a crop that's starting off in such uh, really wet conditions. That's what I saw. Just not very many of what I call those, you know, really excellent-looking early uh, cornfields like we had last year where everything is picket-fence smooth. It is just tabletop evenness across the field. It's just, you know, there's not very many of those kinds of fields right now in Illinois. You know, so, so many years we have some bad areas, some states that are hard hit, and we say, well, but this other state or these states are doing so well, it's going to make up for some of that. Uh, it's hard to see anywhere really in the Corn Belt making up or, you know, helping to uh, lift things up. It's just so widespread this year. Absolutely. I mean, I think it sounds like, I, I don't have any firsthand observations, but uh, much of Nebraska and a big chunk of western Iowa is, is kind of the garden spot of the Corn Belt right now. That's my understanding. But, you know, that's not a very big area compared to the other about nine states that we would include in the Corn Belt uh, to offset it. So, you know, that's why you see I think the market is uh, pricing corn probably, you know, someplace in the mid to upper 160s for an expected U.S. average corn yield right now. That's a big drop from trend right there already we're talking with university of illinois ag economist scott Irwin. scott coming up in my next segment i'll be talking with jeff cooper president and ceo of the renewable fuels association we're going to be talking about the administration's review of their exemption policy for refiners from the rfs uh, you've proposed uh, a, a solution to this uh, something that you suggest be done to kind of quell some of the controversy or at least reduce it somewhat. Uh, tell us about that. Well, my solution is just basically to go back to uh, 
the SRE policy that we started with under what we call RFS2 in 2010. And there's a reasonable case to be made to just end all this SRE nonsense, give all small refiners an exemption. Just their 75,000 barrels a day is the cutoff. Exempt all of them and do that at the time that you make the annual rulemakings and you can factor that into the computation of the percentage standards so that there is no cut. Now, effectively what that does is it then uh, reallocates the waived gallons from the small refiners to the large refiners. So um, there's only one group in my proposal that will be unhappy, and that's the large refiners. Small refiners should all be happy because they are waived out of the RFS standards. Um, Biofuels and ag groups will be happy because there will be no cuts in the volume levels of the RFS standards. This will meet congressional intent, and I'd argue that the large refiners, even though they say they're unhappy, all the evidence indicates that they're able to basically pass the their rent costs off to uh, further down the supply chain in, in the, what's called the crack spread. So nobody gets hurt in this, and it just it would one fell swoop, it would just take the SRE uh, issue off the table. But of course, we know that the large refiners are going to fight this proposal tooth mm-hmm. and nail because it does the one thing that they want to achieve, which is to reduce the RFS mandates. Yeah, their pushback on that would be loud, I would think, and I'm sure the administration would look at that. Right, well, here's the thing for your listeners to watch. You know, all this legal policy um, controversy over SREs, what will get the large refiners out of their chairs is reallocation. The idea that any waived gallon under a small refinery exemption that will then have to be made up by the large refiners, when that gets put on the table, the big guns come out. That's the real issue. Yep, that's the flashpoint for sure. All right, Scott, as always, good to talk with you. Thanks for being with us. Always a pleasure, Mike. University of Illinois ag economist Scott Irwin. Well, we'll talk about that issue of uh, refinery exemptions from the RFS coming up next with the president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, Jeff Cooper. The administration has a review of their policy and handling of those uh, exemptions underway now. We'll see what Jeff thinks about that and about this proposal from uh, Scott Irwin. And also talk some other issues uh, with the reduced corn crop looks like on the way how's that impacting ethanol production ahead we'll talk about that as well stay with us you're listening to aoa adams on agriculture hi this is mike adams you're listening to aoa adams on agriculture don't go away more adams on agriculture coming right up. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. 
the Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Want to reduce your risk of heart disease, diabetes, and stroke? Simple. Eat right. This is registered dietitian nutritionist Melissa Dobbins. A healthy diet can mean a healthier you. So eat a variety of proteins each week. Seafood, lean meat, poultry, beans, and nuts. Fill half your plate with fruits and vegetables at every meal. Choose foods that are lower in calories, fat, and sodium. Limit your alcohol and maintain a healthy weight. Let a registered dietitian nutritionist help you achieve your goals. Find one near you at eatright.org. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. USDA reporting that 145,000 metric tons of soybeans have been sold for the 2018-19 marketing year to an unknown destination. According to USDA's Grain Export Inspections report on Monday, over 500,000 tons of soybeans destined for China were inspected. That is a strong figure considering tariffs levied on exports between the two countries. November soybeans erased intraday gains to close lower on Tuesday. We formed a bearish outside day on the daily charts, according to the wire talk. The action said to be negative, giving soybean bears the short-term technical edge. July soybeans, an hour into the day on Wednesday, down five and a quarter, 898 and a quarter. November new crop down a nickel at 9.21 and a half. In corn, July down four and a half at 4.43. December at 4.54 and a quarter, down three and a quarter. Chicago wheat trending higher, July up six and three quarters at 5.42 and a half. Kansas City wheat July, steady money at 4.65 and a quarter. Minneapolis spring wheat, new crop September up two and a half at 5.59 and a half. For livestock, the American live cattle futures were 50 to 67 cents higher. August live cattle up 67, 103.92 an hour into the day. Feeder cattle, August contract up $2.62, 133.95. Cash cattle activity so far on the week has been quiet. Bids seen around 107 on a live basis. Lean hog futures, August down 17, $76 even. The Dow is up 31 points. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. My mom's a breast cancer survivor. The United Breast Cancer Foundation saved her life. Their free breast cancer exam caught the cancer early, and it saved her life. But now the foundation needs your help so they can continue offering free or low-cost breast screening exams, saving more women's lives. Help them by donating your car, whether it's running or not. They'll provide fast, free 24-hour pickup, and you receive a charitable tax deduction, plus the great feeling you'll get knowing your donated car is going to help save more lives. Just call 800-745-3327 to set the wheels in motion. They take cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs running or not. Call 800-745-3327. The United Breast Cancer Foundation needs your help, and your donation could literally save women's lives, helping them catch breast cancer early like they did with my mom. Donate today, 800-745-3327, 800-745-3327. 
Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, the Trump administration is reviewing its policies and procedures on granting small refinery exemptions to the RFS. We'll talk about that now with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Jeff, uh, what's your reaction to this review? Are you skeptical or are you thinking this might lead to some changes? Well, Mike, we're we're encouraged, I'd say, uh, and, and maybe cautiously optimistic that uh, that a review is going to reveal that uh, EPA has been acting inappropriately with small refiner exemptions, and and that uh, uh, that they need to change the way they're doing things and get back to a more judicious and responsible way of, of handling those petitions. So that's our hope. Um, you know, when the president was in Council Bluffs, Iowa, a few weeks ago. Uh, you know, I had a chance to, to visit with them for a few minutes on this issue. Uh, Kevin Ross, of course, who I know has been on your show recently, uh, had a chance to um, speak directly to the president on this issue as well. And so, you know, the feedback we're getting is, is that message was received. And uh, the president himself directed uh, Secretary Purdue and, and Administrator Wheeler to get together and, you know, figure out how to solve this problem. So we, we are encouraged by that, but, uh, you know, the proof's in the pudding. We'll see what happens. It's been reported that the president was surprised to hear that message mm-hmm. from you and Kevin Ross and others, that it really got his attention. I think he went there expecting everything to be positive about the the rule change to allow E15 sales year-round, and then all of a sudden he got this message directly uh, that there's another problem. Do you think it really did uh, uh, get his attention uh, and surprised him to to hear how strong you uh, felt about that. Yeah, I do. I, I and again, I think um, he was expecting, uh, you know, to, the the day to be about uh, celebrating the E15 year round final rule, and and it was. Um, I mean, he certainly received lots of thanks and and gratitude and appreciation for, um, you know, keeping that promise to get the year round E15 rule done. Uh, but we just couldn't miss an opportunity uh to you know share directly with the president uh, our concerns on the exemptions um it did i think uh catch him a little bit by surprise I, i'm not sure that uh he was fully aware of of what epa has been doing on these exemptions um you know he he first heard it from uh daryl mcalexander who's a, a farmer uh from you know outside the council bluffs uh, area there that delivers corn to, to that plant. Um, and so right away, within the first five minutes of, of the visit, uh, Daryl had raised the issue uh, with the president, and, and he heard it several more times before he left. So I do think it uh, uh, maybe caught him a little bit by surprise uh, and, and did get his attention. And I think as a result of that, we're seeing the, you know, the, the agencies go back to the drawing board and see what, what else can be done. Uh, with these exemptions to reduce the impact uh, that they've been having on our markets. Uh, University of Illinois Ag Economist Scott Irwin, who I know you don't always agree with, uh, suggested just have a blanket uh, policy on this where the, the small refiners uh, would not be uh, uh, 
uh, you know, that they would have the exemption and it would really only apply to the larger ones. He said that'd be the only group you would get mad would be those uh, large refiners, and they would certainly push back on it. Uh, what are your th- thoughts on his proposal? Well, it's, you know, that's that's really what already exists in the in the law. Um, there, there was a, a blanket exemption for all small refiners for, for the first several years of the RFS2, uh, and then EPA said, you know, uh, you know, these, these refiners will have had enough time to make adjustments and to adapt to the program, to respond to the RFS. Um, and so it was a temporary blanket exemption. Um, and then, you know, to get an exemption beyond that, they have to prove that the RFS is somehow disproportionately economically harming them. Um, and it's been our contention that there's no way that a refiner, whether it's a large refiner or a small refiner, um, could make that kind of showing when you have REN prices that are, you know, 13 or 14 cents today, when you have ethanol still trading at a discount to, you know, gasoline blend stock, um, and refining margins are, are in pretty good shape. So, um, you know, the other thing is the, the law always expected that if you do exempt small refiners, if, if they are able to prove economic hardship, then you take that exempted volume and you add it back to the to the non-exempt refiners uh, so that the statutory volumes are enforced. And EPA has not been doing that. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, you know, I do think the proposal um, from Scott Irwin is, is not novel or new, but it is what EPA should have been doing all along. If they're going to give out exemptions, they need to reallocate those exempted volumes to the, the larger non-exempt refiners. Yeah. And those reallocations is uh, where those refiners start getting really uh, testy in uh, the big ones, and we'll see what their response would be. We I think we know what the response would be, so we'll we'll watch that. We're talking with uh, Jeff yeah. Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Jeff, uh, with the the weather this year, the reduced crop that we're going to have, uh, already economic. Uh, you know, concerns for the ethanol industry. How do you see this playing out, and how will the industry handle this? Well, Mike, I, you know, i got to tell you, the, the industry uh, is, is on pens and needles um, about the state of the corn crop. Uh, of course, it's, it's still pretty early, but I think um, all expectations are we're going to see a, a significantly reduced crop this year. Um, you know, it's, uh, of course, uh, some areas are... are are doing okay and some areas are are in real trouble um you know fortunately we do have um you know a fair amount of 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 corn uh carried into this marketing year and and we've got you know a lot of ethanol in in storage uh kind of record high stocks um so we do have i think uh ample supplies to, to hopefully tide us over through this uh situation that we expect in the fall but it is it is alarming and and the industry is you know kind of going day by day watching the situation and and in some places it seems to be improving but in in others it's just getting worse we've heard reports of some in the ethanol industry at least looking at bringing in corn from brazil are you hearing that that's right uh i am hearing some some chatter around that and and i know that certain ethanol producers are are looking at that um you know, I was just in Brazil a couple weeks ago. Uh, their corn crop is is going to be large, uh, quite large, and they're they're going to have uh, plenty of corn to export. Uh, their prices are, are quite low compared to ours currently, 
so you know if, if the if the logistics work out if the transportation costs work out there could be some some situations where we see uh brazilian corn coming into uh you know both the west and, and east coasts um and providing feedstock for not just ethanol producers but uh you know livestock and poultry feeders in those markets as well tell us about the event in brazil you were there you were a speaker on a panel there what was the that was that topic i know you had some things you wanted to tell those in brazil and in the, in the industry there some changes you'd like to see them make yeah so i was uh at the uh sugarcane industries annual conference uh last week and i did get a chance to speak uh to to their industry uh my message was was pretty clear um, you know, they, they have a tariff rate quota uh, against U.S. ethanol today. Uh, so, we're, we, you know, we have a, a fairly modest uh, quota that we're able to ship to that country um, duty-free, and then a, a 20% tariff kicks in. And it's, it's been, um, you know, damaging to our uh, exports to, to Brazil. It's, it's, I think, strained our trading relationship with Brazil. Um, so my message and, and my plea to the Brazilian industry was uh, that they should support allowing that tariff rate quota to expire uh, in September. It, it is set to, to end in September. Um, there is some talk that, that some in, in Brazil want to extend uh, that program, and, and our message is, hey, uh, we're the two largest ethanol producers in the world. Uh, we should not be putting up barriers to, to each other's product, and, and we certainly allow Brazilian ethanol to come into this country duty-free, and in fact, we give them some some extra sweeteners. Um, you know, they get, they get a lower carbon score for the California LCFS. They get advanced biofuel RINs under the RFS, so they're actually advantaged in our market. All we're asking for is, is free and fair access for U.S. corn ethanol in the Brazilian market. And finally, E15 sales this summer, uh, you know, for some, that's, uh, that's new. Other places, it's, uh, you know, business as usual. But what are, what's the reaction been? Have you heard any excitement or interest levels growing? What are you hearing? We are hearing uh, lots of questions from new retailers and, and companies that haven't really um, been following E15 too, too closely uh, or haven't expressed much interest in E15 in the past. Um, I, I do think that, you know, learning that the, the product is, is able to be sold year-round today um, is attracting some, some new interest. Uh, you know, we haven't seen any, any, you know, huge announcements or investments uh, made outside of, uh, you know, Casey's kind of came out right after other 60 stores. Uh, but we think some are coming. We, we do think there are a couple major chains that uh, uh, are close to, uh, you know, putting their toe in the water, at least on E15. Good. All right, Jeff, good to talk with you again. All right, thanks, Mike. Have a good one. Take care. Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. All right, coming up next, we continue our look at crop conditions. We'll go to the St. Joseph, Missouri area next. Gene Miller will check in with us for a report on that area. Stay with us on AOA, Adams on Agriculture.
Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. You're going to need me. You're going to need us. All of us. You're going to need our technical skills. Our math. Our engineering skills. You're going to need our help with your water. Your air. Your food. You're going to need our organizational skills. Our problem-solving skills. You're going to need our determination. Our honesty. Our compassion. You're going to need the next generation of leaders to face the challenges the future will bring. And we promise, we'll be there when you need us. Today, 4-H is growing the next generation of leaders. Support us at 4-H.org. Want to reduce your risk of heart disease, diabetes, and stroke? Simple. Eat right. This is registered dietitian nutritionist Melissa Dobbins. A healthy diet can mean a healthier you. So eat a variety of proteins each week. Seafood, lean meat, poultry, beans, and nuts. Fill half your plate with fruits and vegetables at every meal. Choose foods that are lower in calories, fat, and sodium. Limit your alcohol and maintain a healthy weight. Let a registered dietitian nutritionist help you achieve your goals. Find one near you at eatright.org. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. All right, let's talk trade issues with Dave Salmonson, Senior Director of Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Dave, let's look at USMCA. It's passed in Mexico. Where do we stand here in the U.S.? 
Well, here in the U.S., still working through the procedures, you might say. We had uh, the head of the USTR, Ambassador Lighthizer, testified this week before the Senate Finance Committee and the House Ways and Means Committee, uh, telling them the administration was ready to go, uh, wanted to work with them, make sure they could get the implementing bill in shape so they could send it up. You know, that hasn't been forwarded to the Congress yet. Uh, they want to work with the leadership to make sure it's, uh, it has everything in it that's necessary for passage and they have to do that really before they can present it to the House and the Senate. So that process is ongoing, so you might say it's following its course. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, Immigration Reform, Reducing Regulations, Trade, New Technology, as well as Infrastructure and Health Care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, let's check in with Gene Millard in the St. Joe, Missouri area for an update. Gene, thanks for being with us. Let's see, you, you had flooding, and then you got some windows for planting. Uh, where, where do things stand out? How do things look in your area? Well, uh, we were pleased to miss the rainstorm last night. We sent it to Nebraska and Iowa. So uh, we escaped that one. It looks like we may be in for about a week or ten days of uh, drying out, uh, but it's been nothing but wet. I think the ring gauge totals last week were anywhere from three and a half to five inches, and uh, that's just about enough. Or I know, you know, you got a little. Everybody's got water in the basements, and you know those kind of fun things, as well as damage to uh, the crops out there. Just having a slow time getting up and growing. All right. Well, how do how does your corn look? Uh, our corn looks amazingly good, uh, but it was uh, implanted before April the uh, 20th, uh, and anything planted after April 20th uh, through the first week in May, most of that had to be replanted, spotted in. It's a mixed mash. Uh, thankfully, we got all of our corn in in that very tight window, and the, anything planted after, around that last uh, week of April, first week in May, it, if you got in the field, then it rained and turned cold, just got uh, poor emergence, poor stands. I see a lot of planting in. They've uh, gone in with the GPS and tried to go down the same row, and so you get corn now that's four or five inches tall and some that's a two foot tall. And so it's mm. it, it looks kind of ragged in places. Uh, there is some good-looking corn, but uh, it's just been waterlogged and now needs some heat to get to growing. Soybeans, uh, really a mixed bag. Uh, we planted some early beans back April 25th and 6th. They look fine. Uh, they're not growing very fast. They should be canopied. They're not. Uh, they've just been enough uh, wet weather and cold temperatures. They just haven't got up and growing. But uh, I looked at my planting uh, log that my son 
keeps and sent me a copy last night. We had two days in the field in May, May 17th and May 18th. Then we were in a field uh, three days, June 3rd, 4th, and 5th. And then we were out, and then we finished up the very last of our bean planting on June 10, 11, and 12. And so it just spread out. Uh, there's a lot of really, really short beans, and uh, they may be planted, but they're just growing very, very slowly right now. And uh, it's been too wet to think about getting over the field with a sprayer. I've got a spray operator drove my driveway here this morning, wanting to know when we're going to get going. Well, uh, you're going to have to let it firm up a little bit out there. But it's, uh, it's pretty ragged. About weed control, how do things look? Well. It's amazing. Uh, we had the early beans planted in April. We sprayed them with a residual and a burn down. And I cannot believe how well that uh, combination worked. They are still just almost clean, and that is very, very unusual. Usually 21 days, we've got to be back in there. That's been 75 days ago. It's just been too cold even for the weeds to grow. <laughs> but it's going to warm up now, and I'm sure they'll all show up. Uh, there's some that are sneaking through, and we got our corn uh, resprayed, second pass, and uh, just had a real tight winter to get that done. So it's just been a rush against the clock and against the mud and the next rain and trying to get a little hay rolled here and there. And some guys are going to really be in the hay fields, I think, this week. It's warmed up. In the St. Joe area, uh, are there many prevent plant acres around you? There's going to be a lot of prevent plant in the uh, river bottom. Uh, the Missouri River Valley is just plain flooded all the way from Yankton, South Dakota to St. Louis. Uh, it is just a mess out there in the river bottom, and uh, there's just some areas that are that are just probably not going to get planted at all this year. And even the tributaries into the, the drainage pattern um, major streams like the the uh, Platte River here east of St. Joe, that river bottom has been flooded twice. Uh, the guys replanted after the first time. Now it's flooded again this last week. And over east of us, uh, the Grand River going down to central Missouri, it's been flooded more than once. Still water standing behind the levees. You know, they went over the levees, and now the levees is kind of acting as a lake. I know I talked to a friend of mine over there around uh, Chillicothe, Missouri, at 75 miles east of St. Joe. He said he had 2,000 acres underwater. They were taking excavators to break the levees to get the water to go back in the river because it impounded it behind the levee. So there's going to be a lot of preventive plant. There's no doubt about it. And any, any guesstimates on planted acres right now, I think, is just a wild, wild guess. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be a while before we get a handle on that. Uh, for what could be planted in your area, do you did you hear much switching? Did they guys go to corn from corn to beans, or or did they pretty well be able to stick with what they intended to do? I think most of it stuck with their normal rotation as as best they could. If there was any switching, it would be pretty minor. Uh, we're not a heavy corn on corn area, so. You know, it's a corn bean rotation type scenario, and uh, I think the rotation pretty well stayed stayed in place. I just don't see the switching taking place. It's a matter of condition of the crop, Mike. It, you know, it may have been planted, but it is so ragged uh, that it's going to be 
a really a stretch to even get close to APH uh, this year, and and there will not be any uh, you know uh, yields like we had in 2017. We had a, we have a complete flip flop. Last year was extreme drought. This year, just exactly the opposite. And so uh, it's going to be a challenge uh, to get through the, this growing season and get the herbicides on and. And I know in some cases the weeds are going to get above that four inch before we can get in there. So yeah, yeah. do what we the can. Challenges. The challenges continue, that's for sure. Thanks, Gene. Good to talk with you. Thank you, Mike. St. Joe, Missouri farmer Gene Miller. All right, that wraps it up for today. We'll have more coming up for you tomorrow. We'll take a look at uh, the trade talks and more. Hope you'll be with us right here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Soybean growers are going all-in on Ingenia herbicide. Now BASF is going all-in on Ingenia growers. We're so confident in the performance of this solution, we're now backing it with the Ingenia herbicide weed control guarantee so you can have true peace of mind. And you can tap into our expanded Grow Smart Rewards program and get cash back. Go all-in today at IngeniaHerbicide.com. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Wash hands and utensils to avoid spreading bacteria when preparing food. Separate. Use different cutting boards for meat, poultry, seafood, and veggies. Cook. You can't tell it's done by how it looks. Always use a food thermometer. Chill. Keep the fridge at 40 degrees or below to keep bacteria from growing. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, <clears throat> me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <sighs> Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council.